you get to London, you, you get this nice new location. Here, it's kind of unique. Can you tell us a little it bit is. about this location? Cause it's not something that I expected to see when I first came here. Yeah. Um, I was searching for something like this for a while. After working in, um, in several clinics and, and kind of developing a bit of appreciation for what my treatment style was like, I wanted a an open um, concept, you know, high ceiling, sort of inviting, uh, more boutique style um, clinic that I could hopefully purchase the building because um, I knew the business side of it as well. If I could do that, I could tie, tie a bit of a commodity to it. Um, but um, I also wanted um, to not have to see more than two people an hour. So um, that changed the space requirements and that sort of thing as well. Um, so, and a house came up and, and my dad and I did uh, um, a bunch of uh, the renovations on it and we got it, uh, got it all set up and it's been, it's been great since. So is there like, is there still a kitchen in here and stuff? And there is in the back. Yeah, that was what I used uh, when I was splitting time back and forth. And then there's, uh, there's an apartment above as well that I rent out. Cool, cool. Yeah. Okay, so tell me a little bit about what kind of things were you seeing early in your career as a phys- physiotherapist? Because you mentioned um, some of the reasons why people would see a physiotherapist, like mm-hmm. car accidents, rehabilitation, specific things like that. Can you tell me a little bit about what that was like early on? Um, when you got here. Yeah, when I got here, um, I, I've been pretty fortunate here that, that I've, I've got a, um, I guess a lot of, um, strong friendships or or presence in the community that I really haven't had to do a lot of, um, marketing per se. Um, I've had some affiliations with, uh, uh, with Western cheerleading and come to some of the local gyms and that sort of thing that I... Um, you know, try and uh, try and help out with and, and educate staff and that sort of thing. And um, I've seen a that that's kind of led me to see a very diverse range of patients, from you know very high level athletes to um, you know uh, my friends' parents to um, you know to all sorts of uh, um, car accident patients, post fractures, post surgeries. So I. I Initially, when I got into physio, I really thought that I was going to be that I'd want to only work with athletes, and I'd want to be sort of on a on a um, professional team or something like that, and really getting immersed in that environment. But as I kind of got into physio more, I realized that I really liked the interaction, and I really liked the diversity of seeing uh, a, a, a diverse patient group as well. So you know, I might have a you know a, a semi pro athlete on one table, and I might have a um, 60 year old, um, you know, golfer on the other one that, uh, it's, it's, and it's, uh, super fun for me because it keeps my brain going, you know? Yeah. You mentioned, uh, last week, um, disclosure here, I'm one of Mark's patients mm-hmm. and I've enjoyed my experience here. Uh, but you mentioned last week that, you know, you've, in your experience, you've felt a lot of different, um, body types and, yep. and, and one leg to the next can feel different. And you can clearly feel that just based on your experience. Yeah. So, if you've got an like a, a pro athlete or a semi pro athlete or a high athlete on one table and, and the sixty year old golfer the you know average Joe on the other table, yeah. how significant is the difference between you know the body type? Um, it's it's it can be very significant. Um, you know, you look at um, recovery times for professional athletes, and and they're often significantly less than the average person would would endure, and that's for. A lot of different reasons. Um, you know, they, they're typically in 
peak shape and they've got you know a lot of time to work on work on their injuries and they're eating well and you know a lot of other factors that aren't coming into play versus you know someone that works 60 hours a week and is older you know you have to take those factors into consideration because you know you don't want to get under unrealistic expectations as far as how soon an injury might get better and and mitigate a lot of frustration on the on the part of the patient right so when patients come in for physiotherapy, would you say, generally speaking, that patients have particular goals in mind coming into you to the appointment? Of course, yeah. Um, the, we live in a wonderful age where there's a lot of information available to you, and a lot of my patients will come in fairly informed on on what's going on or, or get some direction from their family physician. But the the problem with 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 our internet is that you're almost bombarded by information, and, and some of it isn't really accurate for what what they have going on um and that that's a that's a, a key thing with with my treatment approach is i like to have a lengthy conversation on on what's going on and really inform my patients about why it's happening and and you know the extent of their injuries and and really look at a, a sound um, injury model that we can work from to to really to really have a, a a program that will make sense and it makes sense to my patient as well because I'm a firm believer in, in having a, a, a big knowledge base on, on what's going on to, to help um, expectations and also to help the, um, the um, effectiveness of our, our treatment approach too. Would you say that, that athletes try to um, um, shorten the recovery time as much as possible? Like I imagine an athlete coming in here going, listen, I, I want to get back on the ice in two weeks when clearly yeah. in your mind it's like, you know, probably four to six or whatever is better. Yeah. What's your experience there? I think everyone everyone tries to, tries to shorten their 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 treatment. Um, and I, I think I think I'm pretty good that way that, that I'll I understand when, when patients you know they have priorities, and and even from a you know from a professional athlete standpoint, if there's certain things that that we need to do, and we understand that 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 pain might accompany that, as long as it isn't a dangerous situation, then I'm happy to err on the side of more activity. Um, but if it's ever a situation where we're going to do damage or safety is a concern or that sort of thing, I'm I'm always going to step in and, and make my make my voice heard and some people don't don't like me that a lot of coaches have have uh have had some issues but i mean that's my job i've got to i've got to speak from my experience and 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 from a, a sound sort of uh, assessment standpoint on what's happening so you were saying last week uh off the air or during our appointment that you know a lot of these teams nowadays have their own physiotherapists yeah and this sort of um, expansive team of healthcare professionals, if you will, to get their athletes to peak performance. Yeah. Um, so how important then is it, would you say, for um, athletes to, when they, when they do feel the soreness and they do feel pain, to get it checked and to go the extra mile and see a physiotherapist or whoever they need to, to, to get things right? I think, it's, I think it's important, again, across the board. I think... Um Almost always, an early intervention is going to lead to less headaches, less less time seeing me, um, you know that sort of thing. And and um, in a in a 
in a team environment, uh, I mean, it's great because you've got a multidisciplinary approach and, and I'm the same way that if, if I know you're going to be better suited with an osteopath or a chiro or a massage or something like that, I'm the first to, to recommend that. So we can really like, like I said, take advantage of, of a big multidisciplinary team. Do you think athletes pay more attention to their physical bodies than, than the average Joe due to the nature of what it is they do? Um, I think they have to. I think they're probably prompted to do that more, but I think uh, it might just be a personality trait, too, that, that certain people are a little bit more um, in tune with what's going on with their body. Now, I want to I sort of change gears a little bit and get into the specifics of things like pain and, and age and, and, and specifically like uh, the recovery aspect, as we talked about earlier. So when it comes to age, um, is there an age that you would say is, is kind of the point where um, you really start to see a, a drop or, or an increase in the length of recovery time? Um, yeah, definitely. I, I wouldn't say that that's a set number. I think it's going to be a little bit different for everyone. Um, lifestyle factors are going to come in there, genetics certainly. Um, and, um, you know, uh, even even personally I've noticed, um, you know, I'm 43 now, so you start to notice those changes every decade it seems like where, you know, you, you're a little bit different after sports. But um, um it's a tough one to, to give a specific number. You know, the, the biggest difference for me is if I have a um, 12 or a 14-year-old come in with a, an injury and then I have a 25 or even a 35-year-old come in with that same injury, the 14-year-old will heal in half the time. It's right. crazy. Right, right. It's still astounding to me. And, 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 you know, there's some things you can do to mitigate that, but, but it's, it's just different. So you, talk, you talked about lifestyle and, and specific like genetics and things like that, the different mm-hmm. factors that go into re- recovery time. Um, how significant is the lifestyle, I guess, on the hierarchy? Is it something that um, would sort of trump the rest of the things? Like no matter how good someone's genetics are or how well they play in sports and things like that, if they have poor lifestyle behaviors, does that really – how does that impact your job? Um, it's going to be huge. I think, um, you know, you talk to any, um, any surgeon, um, and any smokers, their recovery time is going to be very significant. And I, I know even some surgeons that will highly advocate for, um, cessation of smoking, you know, prior to doing a surgery. Um, and then obviously you've got, you know, um, sleep and, um, nutrition and all those things. I I think have a very, very large, um, factor during the intake. When you're, when you're first seeing a patient, um, do patients typically disclose other things that's going, that that are going on with their lives as well too? Like touching on lifestyle factors, like, you know, Hey Mark, my, my diet's been really poor when really they came in for like a sore back or something. Do they get into those other things if, as well? Too? If they don't, I ask them. Uh, it's it's something that I think is very important. And it, and if, like I said before, you know, if you can make any um, any sort of general suggestions that are that are well proven to be healthy, I think that's a that's an excellent thing to do as a healthcare practitioner to to help everyone you know um, adopt a, as as best they can manage a, a healthier lifestyle. Would you say? Do you have like some magical powers where you have like this? 
vision test of somebody that walks in the door and you can say, okay, yeah, this person's going to have sore knees and, 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 and probably some, some neck pain or something like that. Can you, can, do people visually give you cues like that? Or clues? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think that, um, you know, the experience, the amount of experience I've had in, you know, in this field certainly allows me to to see things faster than the average person. Um, but, it you know, it certainly doesn't change the fact that you need to go through a, a thorough assessment to really fully evaluate what's going on. So... Um, what were, what are some of the trends that you've seen over the years or are there any trends? I mean, in my mind, you'd probably start to see certain things come up again and again. Yeah. Um, for sure. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time battling, um, the effect of sitting, you okay. know, that's probably one of the, one of the biggest things that, uh, um, you know, I think those sort of issues we, we, identify um in in society you certainly start looking at ways to um especially you know from a um uh, if you want to say like a work injury or um you know um, when you start dealing with um uh it seems to be like money's a good motivator so when when um employees are off on for large times and you start looking at disability or those sort of things, I think it starts forcing employers to look at what's going on. And there's been a wonderful trend in, you know, in especially um, environments where employees are sitting for long periods that they've gotten big into ergonomic evaluations and making things are sure things are set up uh, properly. And then now the prevalence of, of standing workstations is, is much, much higher than it was even five years ago. So, have you heard that some companies like Google have like beanbag chairs and things like that in, in the mm-hmm. office space? Are you familiar? Yeah, with yeah. It, it, have you ever have you been through the Good Life? Uh, no. If you yeah, if you ever get a chance, the Good Life um, head office here has swings actually, and like a, a ton of different. Uh, they have treadmills and they have a bunch of a uh, bunch of cool stuff they can sit on. But um, swings, I wouldn't recommend. Swings would probably be just for fun for like maybe a short duration, but. Um, I don't know. It's it's a tough one because I wouldn't say the standing workstation is a is a um, solution either. Um, you know, it's uh, I, I think that it certainly eliminates some of the lumbar spine um, um, positioning problems that you get with with sitting. But you're still going to a lot of times end up in a bad upper thoracic um, shoulder neck posturing. But um, I think the big thing is just switching is just switching position frequently. Uh, you know, a lot of companies seem to be. A, setting up multiple workstations that you can kind of travel around the, the office and, and kind of get work done. So how difficult is it then to, and I don't want to say it like this, but I will anyway, yeah. to fix somebody who's, who's been working in an office job for 20 years, 30 years, and their bodies are sort of, uh, I don't want to say like permanently out of line, um, but it may, it may be that way. It may present yeah. itself where the neck is resting uh, too far forward or the head or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. How, how do you fix that? Well, I, it's tough for me to say any, anything is permanent. I'm, I'm certainly eternal optimist. Um, and I think the thing that a lot of my patients notice is that we may not ever get into good, like perfect posture, but a trend towards good posture can often make some really, really good results too. So then how close do you work with chiropractors? Because it sounds like something that um, you would work closely with a chiropractor with. I do. I do. Um, I think it's like anything else where you kind of develop your 
your um, referral sort of network um, and start to find out who you like, who you don't like, that sort of thing, or who your patients seem to respond to, who might have a similar sort of um, treatment approach as you, because a lot of times that's nice um, when, you know, your patients are hearing similar sort of ideas, concepts, that sort of thing. And, and like, sometimes, like, no one's perfect. Sometimes you just need a second opinion on something. Or sometimes, you know, you might just not gel with the the personality type of the patient and you got to be respectful of that you know yeah how do you do that like and 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 what in particular um doesn't sort of jive with with your style um i don't i'm not very good at motivating patients um so so someone who's who's coming in uh, without the intent or a strong intent to get better, I tend to not gel well with them. I can certainly give them some info and, and put, you know, the, the, the things, the tools that they need in their, in their possession, but I'm not going to crack the whip to, to get them to do it. So what motivates, in your opinion, what motivates people to take care of themselves? That's a tough one, man. Um, pain often does. Um, certainly, uh, um, Ah, that's a that's a really tough one. I, I think that's probably your your biggest one. I think uh, some people get really motivated by um, increasing performance or you know that sort of thing. Um, certainly, um, you know there, there is a lot of people are starting to get more active, and I think that's a great thing. Um, and I think a lot of them, you know, it can be very discouraging to have some injuries or have some setbacks when you try to get back into it. And, and that's where you can really um, open their eyes into to what. You know, if they're performing well or they're they're moving well in a gym environment, that can really translate to to a happier life and more function and being able to play with their kids better and things like that. So, if pain is a motivating factor, and I, and I'm sure you see many patients like that that are that are struggling with pain. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of options do they have here through through your work? Um, to, to address the pain. Yeah. It's a, it's a good point. Cause even myself, I know sometimes I, I, you know, pain kind of goes to the, to the back burner cause I get very, very interested in, in sort of what's going on and how to fix it. Um, but for me, I, I adopted a long time ago. Um, I started doing, uh, acupuncture. I, I actually took the certification before I graduated and, um, and I've been doing acupuncture for my entire career. And, and it's been one of those ones that, um, that I was a, a firm non-believer when I first started doing it, and um, and the proof was in the pudding, I guess. That you know, I started doing it with some patients, and roughly eighty percent of my patients will respond well to it. And whether that's placebo or whether that's the actual acupuncture, I don't care. It, it, you know, I'll see I'll see pain reduction, I'll see decreased inflammation, I'll see um, you know relaxation of muscles, and and just general improvement. Um, other options here, I've got your, you know, your standard um, physio things. I've got the, you know, interferential current. You've got ultrasound. You've got, a, I, I do a bunch of um, K-taping and, and, you know, a bunch. Of, I also do active release as well. That's kind of a very um, interesting uh, uh, manual therapy approach that can have some, some fairly immediate results that are pretty cool. So I want to explore a little bit. What is acupuncture exactly? So acupuncture is basically, you know, I, I do um, um, needling. So so you're basically inserting needles in two points that um, 
Sounds then, painful, Mark. Uh, well, you had it done. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So you can testify. It's it's not. It it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel bad. It's sort of a weird awareness. That's how I usually explain it. Anybody that's had a tattoo, it's always a joke. Um, but it kind of just feels like a weird, um, very very mild annoyance would probably be a good way of describing it too. But basically, you're 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 activating spots in the body to elicit a response and how you want to explain that response is typically going to be two different, um, two different theories, whether you're going to go with a traditional Chinese medicine approach or whether you're going to go with an anatomical, um, acupuncturist approach. And I do not typically explain it as anatomical acupuncture, just be, or sorry, as uh, traditional Chinese medicine. Um, just because, uh, I, um, it doesn't really fit with my my treatment approach. I am very anatomically based, very biomechanically based. So um, I tend to explain it in an anatomical model, which is that we're trying to um, basically either have an impact on the on the parasympathetic or sympathetic nervous systems, and that can have a varied response of whether you're increasing sympathetic nervous system activity or decreasing it, or whether you're increasing parasympathetic nervous system activity or decreasing it. What um, are those? What are those? So it's sort of two separate sides in your brain that respond to internal or external stimuli and, and have an effect. And the best explanation of the sympathetic nervous system is that fight or flight response. So if you're about to get into a fight, say, or if you're getting chased by a bear, uh, would be two great examples of when your sympathetic nervous system would very likely be highly active. You would be having increased metabolic uh, rate, you'd have increased blood pressure, you know, muscle tension, all those sort of things. And that would be the type of thing that I would often see with a with an injury. You would usually see heightened sympathetic nervous system activity. And some of that can be good, especially in an, in an acute stage. You definitely want to get, you know, circulation going and that sort of thing. But after a while, you do want that to subside. Um, and, and perpetuation of it can often result in a lot of um, you know, chronic or subchronic um, symptoms. So um, hopefully with acupuncture, we can have an effect on that system and have some resultant um, symptom reduction. So what's this K-tape stuff? What's that all about? So K-tape is basically, um, it's kind of like a stretchy tape that um, that's, I think has become increasingly more and more popular. Um, it's an interesting one because uh, I did, uh, um, you know, uh, some courses in it and they... I don't think they come to a firm conclusion as to why it works, um, but um, it, from my perspective, it has, it has a couple different effects. Um, I think locally where you place it, you can get some reduction of um, of muscle tension, which can be very effective in, you know, in a, say an acute back or a, a, a chronic back, even where you've got some accessory muscle use that tends to result in, uh, in, in some symptoms or you've got tight muscles. Uh, putting it over top of that can really um, help. It seems to help reduce tension, but it can also give you some biomechanical um, reminders into keeping position in certain joints or that sort of thing, which can be very helpful with, because I do do a big uh, biomechanical approach. I, I really like working on movement and mobility to try and get our best version of ourselves from a, from a spinal mobility to a biomechanical movement perspective. And, and tape can be very helpful with that. If you feel 
tightness in a, in a particular muscle, is it possible just to massage that tightness right out of there? Is, is that possible? It can, yeah. Certainly that, that can help uh, transiently. Um, it could also just, um, it, it could be that that muscle is reacting to something else um, and going into a protective state. And, and the lumbar spine is an excellent example where, you know, there's been a lot of trend towards core um, strengthening and, and core awareness. Um, and, and the reason for that is that if you look at a, um, an injury model for the back, a lot of times those external, the larger muscles, um, have right from the beginning taken on a protective role and, and they tend to get hyperactive and try and stabilize the back and where they shouldn't, they, they should primarily just be a mover. So they should activate and then relax off. And that continued activation, um, can result in some pretty severe symptoms. Yeah, so that's my next question. Like, how do we really, just as people, how do we check in on our physical body and, and to know that things are working properly? Um, it's tough. It's tough because, you know, primarily your, your first signs are going to be, um, you know, it's going to be that soreness that you wake up with or it's going to be some, you know, some injury. The, the low back is a tough one because a lot of times, you know, when you're they say the majority of lifting injuries happen between 25 and 35 years years of age and that's the time when you typically are you know you're lifting the most um, but also there's some spinal changes in there that your your disc has actually a little bit more fluid content so you're a little more susceptible to a to a, a disc injury at that time too but the back ones are tough man because a, a lot of times you know i'll see somebody that um, that has a little bit of low back pain they come in and they're, they're not really buying into this big approach that I'm suggesting and I always warn them that you know they're going to come back and see me likely in you know somewhere in the range of one to five years with a worse injury and then it's just how much pain do you need to get motivated to get to make some changes right so if somebody comes in and they're they're struggling with significant back pain and they are taking all kinds of pain medication is your goal to get them off of the pain medication if we could, yeah, of course. I think no medication's great, but uh, you know, certainly uh, I've seen a, uh, you know some super extensive back injuries that I, I think getting them completely off meds might not be a realistic goal, and, and I would never put the pressure on in that regard to have them, you know, not living a, a functional life. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Before we wrap things up, I really want to ask you then how significant is it or how in the past several years have you seen a rise in the number of uh, patients that are taking prescription painkiller or opioid drugs? Um, me personally, no. I know it is though. Um, I, uh, I know it's out there. I know the numbers are there. Um, um, I certainly see it with with my um, car accident patients. They tend to be a little bit more involved, so I certainly do see it. And, and you know, I think it's something we have to be cautious of. I think the the bigger numbers are probably uh, south of us in the U.S. Though, gotcha. So, Mark, what's uh, what's on the horizon for Activate here? Um, for me, I am. I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of continued education, you know, furthering my skills, um, you know, basically keeping, uh, keeping up to date with everything that's going on. Um, I look forward to seeing, you know, con continued uh, diverse patient group here and, and trying to, uh, 
to help out. I've got a recent sort of uh, initiative where I'm kind of heading out in some of the smaller gyms and doing some some free uh, free seminars to try and work a little bit more on uh, spinal mobility and biomechanics and that sort of thing. So trying to give back a little bit as well. So where can the folks uh, find you? Um, website's probably the best, um, activate.ca, um, activate is A-C-T-I-V-A-I-D.ca. Um, that's probably the easiest, um, place to, uh, find out more about me and where I'm at and that sort of thing. Can they just shoot you an email if they're interested in coming to see you? Yeah, yeah. You can, um, find me at, um, Mark, M-A-R-K at activate.ca. Cool stuff, my man. All right, everyone. Take care. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.